Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young, literally right here at your service. That's not just a name. It's what I'm doing. And uh, if you'd like to give us a call to engage in the conversation tonight, we'd love to hear from you. 314-436-7900. You know, you can listen to KMOX, of course, legendary 1120 AM, 50,000 red hot watts. But you can also catch us on 98.7. That's where I tend to listen when I'm driving around town and uh, uh, going around. It, it comes in great. It sounds perfect. It sounds just like the podcast. So you can check us out there or on 102.5 HD2, which is the stream. Or you can check us out anywhere on the Odyssey app or on camox.com. Wherever you go, we go to. So uh, make sure that you listen as, as often as you can, but on various ways that suit you best. Hey, Sean Michael Lyle, you just heard him mention here at the news break, talking about that the that the mask mandates, of course, as everyone has heard, have been lifted, but uh, but businesses, individual businesses, are allowed to make their own determinations when it comes to mask mandates. And I have just a few here that I collected. Uh, schnooks, Fully vaccinated customers do not have to wear masks, but everyone else, including employees, still do. So if you're a customer at Schnucks, no mask required. Employees, if you're working, sorry. You are getting paid, though. At least you're you're getting paid to wear a mask. That makes it a little bit better. Uh, Deerberg's. It's uh, it has not updated their guidelines. They're still looking at it. And uh, according to Deerberg's, they're going to update their mask policy this week. Six flags. Masks are still required. Uh, you know, I, m- I mentioned this at the eight o'clock hour. But uh, listen, I, I love Six Flags. I go every summer. Uh, most summers I'm a season ticket holder at Six Flags. But I may want to continue wearing a mask at Six Flags because, you know, there's a lot of people there that uh, have some hygiene issues that are (laughs) at Six Flags. So uh, I might continue to wear masks. Heck, I might still be wearing masks five years from now when I go to when I go to Six Flags just because uh, it might make the experience a little bit better. Hey, uh, Dave's been holding for a while. Dave, welcome to Camo Wax. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? Okay. Good. You know, I just wanted to point out, you know, the Democrats, if you look back on all this pandemic stuff and even now what's going on, they have utilized this as a political tool 
period. That was mm-hmm. all they saw it as, and they, they thought this would help bring Trump down, and it did, you know. And otherwise, he'd be elected right now. And um, anyway, <clears throat> but <clears throat> even now, Nancy Pelosi doesn't want the uh, members to come into Congress without a mask. Right. But even though the science says, get rid of the mask. Yep. But she's now, remember all they said was science, 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 science. All science. the science. Yep. They're all of a sudden, but you, they disobey science constantly. And that includes, by the, by the way, Lousy Fauci and Nancy Pelosi and Crying Lion Schumer. All of them, they, they don't like science at all. Well, you know, that, that does fit in. Yeah, that does fit in. I, I was just thinking in other ways, Dave, that makes your point. And, and uh, there are lots of areas where the Democrats just don't follow the science. And, uh, and there's even some areas, frankly, where the Republicans have in the past not followed the science. But now it's interesting that it's the Democrats who are not following the science. Uh, and, and yet, uh, if you look at the mainstream media, it's the Republicans that are making this political. It is not. As you pointed out, exactly. it is extremely political, particularly with Nancy Pelosi. And for goodness sakes, Biden has been vaccinated for how long now? And he would be wearing masks outside. And even the CDC right. said you didn't have to wear masks outside weeks ago. But there's Biden wearing that mask. And I'm thinking, why, why are you doing that? Are you virtue signaling? Because well, you're not you're not giving us hope. You're saying it's, it's afraid. It's, Be afraid. It's, it's a it's a political thing. Also, it's that way with the teachers and the teachers wow. union. Yes. Have you noticed how so. they even how much they influence the verbiage that comes from the so-called scientific CDC? Well, sure. And academia, listen, academia has and, a big influence on that. Well, and you know, we got to be careful. Really, it's almost like we're going down a path of like um, step by step. They take you over, kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you get used to having some government authority, like a CDC, tell you you can't get out of your house. Mm-hmm. Something like that. The hell with that. We're Americans. <laughs> listen, we go out and we fight the battles and we win and we conquer. All kinds of diseases and so forth, but we don't kick back and sit in our house. By the way, that's the poverty way out. The government will take care of you. That's a poverty way out. Well, the Dave, what I'm, right I, I agree out. completely. Hey, we're coming up on a break, but I want you to listen because in the next segment, I'm going to talk about how I think people have gotten institutionalized by COVID to thinking that, well, the government has to take care of us and that's the only way we can move forward. And that is simply wrong. But Dave, hey, thanks for calling in this evening on Camel X. Appreciate your show, by the way. You're doing a good job. I appreciate hearing that. Thank you, sir. Take care. Yeah, when we come back, have we become institutionalized by COVID? I think that we have in some degree, and we're going to break that down. What do you think? 314-436-7900. Phone lines are open on At Your Service, X, the voice of St. Louis. All the news and all that matters to you. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Brad Young, at your service. Thanks for sticking around with us this evening. We'll be here till 11. And after that, we've got KMOX Rewind coming up uh, in the 11 o'clock hour. So thanks for sticking around with us this evening here on The Voice of St. Louis. You know, one of the prior callers in the last segment was talking about how we've kind of just gotten used to all this, this stuff with COVID. And we've got to, you know, see what Dr. Fauci says today to see whether we get to go outside or not. And it occurred to me, and it kind of reminded me, thinking about that, of the movie The Shawshank Redemption. 
I mean, there's it's that's one of my favorite movies. There's a lot of things in there that are hard to watch, so I I like watching it on television rather than watching it uh, on a DVD or watching it streaming because then all of the graphic things are taken out of it and the story is still intact and, and because it can be graphic at times. But there's one character, if you've seen the movie, and of course you have, Shawshank Redemption, if you haven't, go watch it. But there's a particular character. He's an older guy. His name is Brooks. He's been in prison since he was 20, and he spent 50 years in prison. And instead of you know celebrating that, hey, I'm free, I'm out of this place, he's kind of tentative and, frankly, kind of scared about, uh, about leaving prison. And, and shortly after he leaves prison, they put him up in a house, and he's working as a clerk in a grocery store, and he just doesn't adjust well to freedom because he's been institutionalized so long that the idea of freedom, he, he just struggles with it. And as the movie progresses, and if, if you haven't seen it, here's a spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, but since it came out in, in the 80s, I think, uh, hopefully you've seen it by now. But by the end of the movie, Brooks, he hangs himself. He kills himself because he can't handle freedom because he's been used He's been used to being institutionalized his entire life. And there's a great scene with Morgan Freeman, and he's, he's, he's talking to the other inmates about this idea that when you're in prison, that's really all that you know. Here's what Morgan Freeman said. But I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes get so you depend on that's institutionalized and can you see how for many of us i think as americans we've kind of started to become institutionalized by covid that we have to the idea that we have to check with dr fauci before we get to go outside of our homes that's not freedom we have to check and see whether we get to go visit our grandkids you know the wall street journal today had an article about how even though the, the COVID restrictions have been lifted and for those who have been vaccinated, there are still thousands and thousands of people in this country who are saying, you know, I'm afraid to go visit my relatives because, you know, I might get them sick. And so that idea of freedom, even though they're being given freedom, you can travel, you can shop, you can eat at a restaurant, you can visit your family, you can hug your grandkids, you can Go see your mom who might be in a nursing home. Those ideas of going and doing things, they're kind of saying, kind of like Brooks was whenever he was told in, in Shawshank Redemption that he was going to get out of prison. Ah, uh, boy, I don't know about if I can do that or not. Brooks, you're free. Yeah, boy, I've just known, I've just known being institutionalized so long. And so are we as Americans becoming so risk-averse and so institutionalized with COVID that we've gotten to the point that we're just afraid to venture out of our homes. I mean, we're seeing that now with our schools, and I briefly mentioned it uh, in the, before the last break, but the teachers' unions of America are fighting against the reopening of schools, that we should still be, remain closed and shut down because if there's even the risk of one person, one school-aged child who might transmit COVID, then by golly, we, we can't take that risk. 
We've got to keep the kids at home and go to school by Zoom. Well, are, are, who are we hurting when that happens? We're hurting kids. We're hurting the parents. We're hurting the businesses that rely on the parents to come and work. We're, we're teaching a generation of people that if for whatever reason you can't work, then the government is here to take care of you. And I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but I do know that if we teach people to stay at home and the government will provide for you, they're not going to work. I mean, we've seen that right now with the with the additional $300 a week in unemployment benefits that state after state after state is now rolling back because there was a um, two weeks ago there was a there was a hiring uh, event at the Chase Park Plaza downtown St. Louis, midtown St. Louis, and it was designed and organized by the restaurant community of the Central West End. A lot of great restaurants in the West End that I frequent. My wife and I go to lots of them. And it was organized by this by this uh, restaurant association to hire because they're desperate to hire people. Had this huge event. Hardly anyone showed up. They were ready to hire hundreds of people, and the, the numbers were in the single digits who showed up for this job fair. Why? Because if you can stay at home and make as much money staying at home, why would you ever go out and get a job? Hey, I'd sit on the job or sit on the couch all day and watch Oprah too if I if I didn't have to go to work. And yet, how does that affect us as people, as Americans, as a society, as a culture, if we're training ourselves to rely on the government to take care of us instead of going out and getting jobs, instead of going out and providing for our families? instead of being responsible for providing for our loved ones. I'm concerned about this idea that, that we're going to become like Brooks, and I'm not suggesting that we're going to go out and commit suicide. But what I am suggesting is, is that COVID is affecting our mentality in ways that we haven't even yet begun to grapple with, to wrestle with, to understand. And this idea of being institutionalized, that we don't know what freedom is like and we need to check with the government before we can see if we can go visit our grandkids, that mentality, I think, is, is destructive for the fabric of our country because our country is based on rugged individualism. And yet right now we're not seeing it. We're seeing rugged institutionalization. And I, I am truly truly, truly concerned. And one of the things that makes this point, I mean, for example, uh, the idea that in America, freedom of speech, and yet Prince Harry just uh, over the weekend said in a podcast, I've got so much I want to say about the First Amendment, and I sort of understand it, but it's bonkers, unquote. I'm quoting, he called our First Amendment bonkers. Now, he, he starts out by saying, I don't think I understand it, but it's bonkers. And yet, you know, we fought a war in 1776 to separate ourselves from the idea that the government controls all of our actions. And yet, in some ways, aren't we kind of returning to it voluntarily? I mean, I think we are in many, many ways. But of course, Prince Harry, from his, from his viewpoint of aristocracy, from his viewpoint as literally being the embodiment of the government, and unfortunately, from his viewpoint of being faced with paparazzi that killed his, killed his mom. He's had some very difficult tragedies in his life because of the press. So 
I'm not completely blaming him, but it seems to me uh, uncomfortable for him as the embodiment of the government of England, of the empire, the English empire, to come over to our country, to move in over here, and then the first thing he does is attack our First Amendment, calling it bonkers. Because the freedom of speech is intertwined with the freedom of thought. And yet, how many instances today are we seeing, whether it's about COVID or whether it's about uh, uh, on tech companies? If you're President Trump, you can't be, they kick you off of Facebook and Twitter. And listen, President Trump has said and continues to say large amounts of things that I completely disagree with. But I support his right to say it. So these things that make us a country, rugged individualism, freedom of speech, and not having to look to the government for permission to be free, those, I hope, are not counted among the millions of casualties of COVID-19. Brad Young and on At Your Service. When we come back, we're going to talk to author Lucas Miles about how liberal thought has hijacked the church. KMOX At Your Service with Brad Young. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Earning St. Louis's trust for 96 years. This is KMOX. Welcome back to KMOX Radio. Brad Young at your service this evening. And I ran across this book recently, and I just wanted to talk to the author. Pastor Lucas Miles, he's the author of The Christian Left, and uh, uh, and basically talking about how liberal thought has hijacked the church. Uh, Pastor Miles, thanks for joining us this evening on Camo X. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, appreciate you making time for us this evening. I've got a lot of specific questions for you, and if we go a little bit long, I may need to keep you through the break because this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. So I've, I've got some specific questions for you, but just foundationally, why, what, what, moved you to write this book? You know, I've been uh, a pastor. I started preaching at 17. I'll be 42 this year. So I've been doing this quite a while. I've actually been at the same church, my wife and I, uh, based in South Bend, Indiana, for about the last, uh, going on 17 years. And, you know, I'm in a red state in a blue county. Uh, the mayor here in South Bend was uh, Pete Buttigieg, who ran for um, mm-hmm. a Democratic candidate for, uh, for president. Um, and he's a perfect example of the Christian left. And, and we see a lot of this in our community here in South Bend. Um, that it has, you know, with a very rich history of, of Christianity, especially with the University of Notre Dame in our backyard. Um, but but the, the Christianity that we see has really drifted into a, sort of a, a progressive ideology. And so we've seen what the New York Times, you know, has called this ascendant liberal Christianity really in our own backyard. And it's not just happening here. I think it's happened around the, uh, around the country. And Bible-believing Christians, conservative Christians uh, are noticing this. They're hearing this in the pulpits now. Um, things like critical race theory that are pushed, um, you know, socialism, Marxism coming out of the church like never before. And I really felt like I, I wanted to do something about it. And, and thankfully, I felt like the Lord kind of gave me the words to, uh, uh, to put together this book, The Christian Left. Very good. And again, we're talking to Pastor Lucas Miles. He's the author of The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. Now, every study over the past few years, including uh, the well-known Pew Research Study on Religion in America. Everyone has shown a consistent downtrend of both church attendance and even the number of people who identify as Christians. 
Now, when this started, uh, many churches, and I know my church was one of them, many churches tried to make their services simpler and easier, you know, just to, to try to attract more people or to appeal to a wider audience. But what has started out as a change in the form of church, I think, has resulted in a change of the function of the church. How would you explain that? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things I trace in the book is that, you know, you have the birth of the seeker-sensitive movement in the 80s and 90s and, you know, really produced a lot of our nation's megachurches. And, you know, this isn't necessarily a dig on them. I think that they were making, uh, really doing every effort that they could um, to to make converts and to, you know, evangelize and share the message. And so, and they were really good at it, and they created a lot of converts, but they, they actually struggled making disciples. And so with the birth of that seeker-sensitive movement, what happened? We, we, we took away Sunday school. We took away a lot of discipleship-making programs. Uh, and, and, you know, we saw sh- service times, you know, shorten. We saw uh, the number of scriptures read on a Sunday morning decreased. And so there began to be this rise in, in biblical, uh, um, uh, you know, illiteracy. And, mm-hmm. and I think that people really, um, it, it would just create the perfect breeding ground for the emerging church to develop because questions weren't being answered. And so the emerging church was really the response to that. It was all of a sudden a whole lot of people asking questions that they'd never been discipled through to be able to answer those things biblically. And then eventually that gave birth to this perfect, uh, um, you know, uh, soil for uh, um, leftism to be able to be introduced into the church. And we are seeing it grow uh, like a weed across this country uh, like never before. You know, a term that, that I've often heard is that churches, many churches embrace what's called a social gospel. And I know you're familiar with that term, but in case others are not, how would you define a social gospel? Absolutely. So, you know, the social, you'll hear social justice, uh, social gospel. Uh, you'll also, uh, you know, kind of the secular version of this might be referred to as either critical theory or critical race theory. Um, it's also known as liberation theology. And basically a social gospel um, is a gospel that really puts man in the center of the gospel rather than Christ. As believers in Jesus, as people who um, you know, study the Word of God, uh, you, would, you would see that, that really all of Scripture all this, is about the culmination of the, the um, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as well as his return for his church, and that, that you know, all of eternity is spent worshiping him and in peace and serenity and, and, and joy. Uh, the social gospel really has very little interest in afterlife, about repentance, about heaven or hell, and it's really focused on 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 sort of alleviating oppression or or any sort of um, uh, negative circumstance on this earth, whether it be hunger, you know, pain, sickness, etc. And and it does so from a very humanistic standpoint. Now, there's a lot of great intentions there. Of course, none of us want those things to happen. Uh, but the reality is we don't live in a utopia. We live in a fallen world, and that is a basic tenet of Christianity. We want to do everything that we can to change this world here, um, but to, to make Christianity you know, solely about uh, trying to create a utopia here is not Christianity. That's Marxism. Hmm. And, and I think it's very important that we realize the difference. And this is basically in my book I call this social gospel. It, it's really just sort of a Trojan horse that was presented to the church, it sounds very spiritual, but when you start digging into it and you start realizing what's there, it's actually this, uh, it's a perfect weaponized uh, um, gift that the left, I, I believe, has given to Christianity, and out has, has come, it's, it's, you know, instead of an army inside, it's been unpacked with 
socialism and Marxism and critical race theory and a lot of division, um, you know, over all of these things. And it, it's a very dangerous thing for the church today. You know, a couple of things you mentioned I want to follow back up on, but of course we're talking to Pastor Lucas Miles, author of the, the book The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. But you, you mentioned two things that I want to focus back on, Lucas, and that is, first of all, you mentioned about how it's not about us, and I was just reminded of that, that great book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Church, and the first four words in that book were, it's not about you, and I was just reminded of that whenever you were talking. But the other thing that you mentioned was that you mentioned liberation theology, and and that's something that I've been talking about a lot over the last few years. And in your mind, is there a is there a philosophical connection between this idea of a social gospel and what's called uh, liberation theology, which in fact was rejected by the Catholic Church as far back as the 1980s? Absolutely. So, so liberation theology, it really started, uh, was developed, uh, I believe in the 50s and 60s, there was a priest named uh, Gutierrez out of uh, South America um, that really, you know, found sort of this hybrid between Marxism and Christianity. And I show in my book, he, he although he, you know, is credited for really developing it, uh, there were some early forms of this going all the way back to, you know, arguably the 1700s uh, in, in France with some social reformers there that, that sort of used and leveraged Christianity to promote their agendas. Uh, and so, you know, with a lot of what we see today in critical race theory and in even some of the Marxist activity of BLM and, and sort of this Marxist takeover of a uh, of some of the injustices that, that they were you know addressing, um, there is a theology behind that. And the theology is very specific. The founders of liberation theology, uh, both in, in South America as well as the American version of it, which is typically referred to as black liberation theology, there's an individual named James Cone, uh, who I believe is deceased now, but he wrote a book about 50 years ago uh, regarding sort of the, the, the framework of black liberation theology. Both of those individuals state that what they are introducing um, to Christians is in fact another gospel. And it's, it's amazing how bold they are in saying this, because Scripture tells us in Galatians mm-hmm. that if anybody brings to you a gospel other than the one that Paul shares, the one that Jesus gave us, you know, it actually says, let, let them be eternally condemned. Now, that's that's the Bible's words and not mine. Um, but what we see is that they, they literally say the Jesus of liberation theology is not the same Jesus that the church has worshipped for the last 2,000 years. That is That is almost verbatim, you know, the words that we see in some of their writings. And so... You know, liberation theology is not Christianity. It's an entirely different religion, entirely different, you know, theological structure to it, and, and it, it does not hold the same tenets. Now, it's called the same thing, and so to, to you know, uh, maybe the layperson or the person who's not discipled very well, they don't see the distinction. Well, what? They're both Christianity. But when you really actually begin to dig into the philosophy of it, mm-hmm. they are two entirely different religions altogether. Hey, last question for you, Pastor Luke Miles, is this. Uh, someone may be listening to this and saying, well, how do I know if my church has drifted into this uh, liberal theology conundrum? How, how would I know? So what kind of uh, uh, terminology, what kind of, uh, uh, of guidance can you give that person for them to figure out whether or not their church is or is not embracing this leftist theology? Yeah, I, I call these the canary in the cage. You know, it's what we're looking for that tell us that there's a problem overall in the whole institution uh, that we're attending. And, you know, some, some churches are just starting to maybe drift left, and there can be some course correction with some solid conversations with leadership. 
Other churches have really gone full-blown on, you know, uh, Christian leftists here. And so we need to be aware of that. I would look at things like, what does the church teach about salvation? Do they still give individual altar calls? Or, you know, is that at, you know, some sort of postmodern response to salvation instead? Uh, what does the church view about uh, uh, pro-life and abortion issues? Do they still stand for the sanctity of life? Uh, in the womb. That's an important marker to be able to see where people still stand. Uh, where do they, where do they you know, land on the whole issue of a biblical view of gender and sexuality? Have they sort of thrown that away and really embraced more of a progressive ideology on those things? Uh, these things all begin to tell us where the church stands. And really what they ultimately point to is, does the church believe in the infallibility of Scripture? Because in order to downgrade some of those issues and those biblical definitions, really what's happening is I'm actually downgrading my view of the Bible. And so if I'm letting go of the Bible as being the Word of God, that's the only way that somebody could embrace Christian leftism is, is because they have let go of the Bible as being the source of truth, and they've started grabbing hold of really voices in the world and amplifying those and elevating them above God's Word. Very good. Pastor Luger, Lucas Miles, author of the book The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. Thanks so much for joining us this evening on KMOX. Appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back. KMOX at your service. We'll be back right after this. Work or play? KMOX is right there with you. We go where you go. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young here in with you till 11 o'clock. After 11 o'clock, it is the KMOX Rewind with all the highlights of the day's uh, programming here on CAMOX. So if you, if you don't get a chance to listen during the day, like a lot of folks do, this is your opportunity to catch up on the highlights, the best of CAMOX from today. So make sure that you stick around. Before we, we talk to Lucas Miles about his book, we were talking about COVID, but more importantly, I was talking about this, this big idea of where we are in terms of being risk-averse as a country, as a society, and as a culture. And one of the things that occurred to me was, and I remember studying this in, in psychology classes back in college, and, and uh, recently I even read that the same studies show this same concept to be true, and that is that, that people are more worried about losing $100 than they are in terms of the gain of getting $150. Okay, so... Uh, you know, what, what's, the, what's the point of me saying that? That is that by nature, a lot of people are risk averse. You know, if you give them a hundred bucks, unless they're a teenager, if you give them a hundred bucks, they're more concerned about losing it than they are if you give them an opportunity to earn $150. And that risk averse concept, I think, has just really been made worse because of COVID. One of the things that that has been really uh, uh, that I've seen in action with COVID is that trends that were already in place were accelerated by COVID. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Uh, working from home, you know, I, again, I'm an attorney. You know that I deal with insurance adjusters all day long, and for years, more and more adjusters have been working from home, but it's always been the minority. It's always been the few out of the whole that would be working from home. And then, bang, COVID hits. They're all working from home. And now that COVID is starting to emerge, we're starting to emerge rather from COVID, most of these adjusters are going to continue to work from home. And that's just one small example. You know, the people are not going to be coming back to New York City or even downtown St. Louis 
in the same numbers that they were before COVID because people are now be working from home. That's a trend that was already in place but was accelerated because of COVID. Uh, church, the decrease in church attendance. We just talked about that with Pastor Lucas Miles. That's a trend that's been in place for years now of fewer and fewer people going to church, fewer and fewer people uh, identifying as Christians. Now that will be accelerated because of COVID. There's lots of examples of that. But I think this concept of us being a risk-averse country has also been accelerated because of COVID. I mean, for now, it's almost as if if you don't wrap your head in bubble wrap, you can't get into your automobile. And if there's a if there's a crash of a Tesla, everyone's all upset about it. Oh my goodness, this is awful. Cars have been crashing for years, but we still drive. I mean, the 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 the, the benefits of driving far outweigh the detriments of not driving, which is you never leave your house. And in the first century, no one ever walked more than ten miles from their home. And now we drive routinely. Uh, lots of some of us used to spend an hour a day or more driving. So the the risk averse nature that that it was already in play in this country has been accelerated because of COVID. And when it comes to masks, I mean the the joke that I've made the last couple of days has been that when it comes to masks, for a lot of folks on the left. The only way that they're going to be able to get people to start wearing masks again is going to be to claim that wearing masks somehow prevents global warming. You know, like the mask will prevent the carbon dioxide from coming out of your lungs and it's going to help keep the environment safe. And I mean, I can see the I can, I can see the PR program now that says if you don't wear a mask, then you're destroying the environment and you're melting the glaciers and you're causing the oceans to rise. Uh, <laughs> and now, of course, I'm being facetious. But my hope is, is that we can regain the spark of this country, which is, which is uh, rugged individualism, risk-taking, and conquering. Not in a bad way, but going out and making things happen. Brad Young sitting in tonight on At Your Service. I'll be back Thursday night here on Camo X at 8 p.m. In the, in the meantime, stay tuned for Camo X Rewind. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.